Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Welcome to America, the land of junk sleep, where it's bedtime, but you're double booked. Here, there's always one more deadline to meet, episode to watch, or meme to share. The world may not want you to sleep, but we do. Only the sleep experts at Mattress Firm can help you find the right bed at the right price. Unjunk your sleep, in-store or online at mattressfirm.com today. Case is our quarterback, you know, and um, he did some good things today. It wasn't obviously perfect, but he moved the ball. Again, you know, we had a chance to get 10 more points there, you know, without the two, two holding penalties and uh, obviously uh, Emmanuel's penalty. So, you know, Case, we all can play better, obviously. You know, it's been four in a row, and we can all play better. You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast, presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, and with me, as always, my co-host and partner in crime in this podcasting and blog endeavor. He is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach it's cold comfort, but I'm glad that Vance Joseph at least stood at the podium after the game and acknowledged that, you know what, in the NFL, there is no such thing as a moral victory. Yeah, I mean, it's nice and all, but I'd rather him get up there and laud a victory, a real victory. This was a very winnable game for the Broncos, and just like the Kansas City game, they let it get away on the clutch. So it's, he can talk about, you know, not to take solace in a, in a close loss, but a loss is a loss. This was a very winnable game. And that's the thing is, you know, we are going to talk and break down the, the performance of the Broncos' defense in depth. We're going to get into that. But, like, even allowing a 200-yard rusher, even – Again. I mean, not being able to stop the run, that certainly set the whole team back. But that defense, in a lot of key moments, man, they, they stood up and they got stuff done. Like, they put their team in a position to win this game. But, again, it's a failure on the offensive side – Keenum taking too long to get going, you know, that that touchdown to Sanders that was called back early in the game in, mm. and then enforcing the unsportsmanlike uh, conduct penalty in which they had to settle for three. It's like that took the, the wind or whatever wind he might have had at that point out of his sails. And from there, they just could not capitalize in key moments. Once again, going two of four in the red zone and just you can't against a team like the Rams that it felt like at first, oh, man, they're going to easily get 30 points. But the Broncos' defense held in there, and what it would have taken as far as a formula for this team to emerge victorious at home was the offense finally carrying its fair share of the water, Zach. And again, we'll talk more about it today, but Case Keenum just could not get it done. We're still waiting on them to play a complete game on all sides of the ball. 
One game they can look at on offense, next game on defense. We're still waiting on that complete game from them. And this is so many parallels to 2016-2017 where the defense does all the dirty work. They shoulder the load. They put the team in a position to win, and the offense just craps the bed. It was so strikingly similar to 2016 or even last year. And the defense can't be expected to do everything. I agree with you. They did had a hell of an effort. They confused Jared Goff. Uh, you know, they held down the receivers. They played their brand of physical football. They rattled Goff like they rattled Patrick Mahomes a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. It only the only difference was the uh, rushing defense. But other than that, defense put the offense in a position to win or match wits with Sean McVay, and they just cannot get it done. Yep. But even against the Chiefs, the Broncos relinquished 100 yards to Kareem Hunt. So it's very similar. That they they decided, look, you know, we we know that this is one of the the most prolific offense in the NFL right now. They're going to get us somehow. Let's sell out to stop the pass. Let's get Jared Goff. Let's confuse him. Let's pressure him. Let's hurry him. Let's hit him, and do the best we can to limit Gurley. But along the way, they gave up 208 yards to him individually, plus two touchdowns. So you can't win necessarily every matchup, especially against the very best teams in the NFL. But again, the Broncos, I think defensively, even considering those 208 yards given up to Todd Gurley, they still put the offense in a chance to win this game, and they just couldn't get it done. It was too little, yeah. too late. Yeah, I mean, it's what we've seen every year from them for the last couple of years. and the, the offense just does not pull its own load. And we saw that split in the locker room a few years ago, and we saw the fractures last year. And the same thing is going to happen this year, regardless of what Vance Joseph says, regardless of the tweaks and the changes he makes. If the defense is expected to do all of the work, it's going to be a locker room that's divided between two teams, the offense and the defense, not one cohesive unit. And until that changes, until we see a complete game, it's always going to have that mentality in the locker room. And that does not breed success it breeds divisiveness and losing and that's what we've seen that's right that's the reason why the broncos sit currently at two and four but let's put a pin in it just for a second i got to run through some quick matters items of business make sure you guys are following the show on twitter at huddle up pod also take some time i don't care where you're listening to the show whether it's itunes stitcher iheart youtube Google Play, Spreaker, we're on Spotify, we're pretty much everywhere. We're looking at uh, Amazon Music, by the way, getting on the Amazon app so that you can listen to us from uh, from that service as well. But wherever you're listening to the show, take some time, leave a creative review, rate the show. We want five stars, absolutely, but even if it's not a five-star review, Zach and I appreciate your uh, thoughts, your feedback, your criticism, and that engagement helps us to stay on point And the only way for us to know that is through the ratings, through your comments and creative reviews. So take some time and get that done. And we also got to say thank you to sponsor today's show, Audible. You guys go out, get yourselves a free audiobook and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. There's over 180,000 different titles that you get to choose from, whether you're on an iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. That's audibletrial.com slash huddle up. Huddle up. You guys, we don't always have time to sit down and turn the pages on the books that we want to read, but Audible allows us to get those books under our belts while we're doing other things, while we're multitasking, whether we're driving, cooking, at the gym, in the yard, whatever it might be. So take this opportunity, get your free book and that 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash huddle up. All right, so end score for the for week six, Los Angeles Rams 23, Denver Broncos 20. 
You brought up an interesting point, though, Zach, right before we jumped on here to start recording this week's gut reaction. You brought up the curious decision by the equipment staff, by the groundskeepers. Uh, why don't you let our, our uh, listeners in on what you what you had to say there? Well, there was about an inch or an inch and a half of snow that blanketed Denver this morning, and the equipment staff decided to put a tarp on the field and keep the field relatively clean and unscathed. I thought they should keep the tarp off the field to give the Broncos more of a home field advantage. You have a Rams team that's coming from Los Angeles, and golf in college never really played in, in snowy conditions. Why would you take away your only advantage and cover the field and make it an even playing field, literally? I just thought it was a curious decision. I would have kept the tarp, tarp off of it and uh, let this snow fall where it may, if you will. You know what it tells me is that this team is still under an institutional-level delusion that Case Keenum is something that he's not. He's not Peyton Manning. You don't need to, you know, cultivate the perfect conditions on field to avoid him having to wear a glove or something or worry about his neck because he's just such a precision passer. That's not Case Keenum. In fact, that's one of the things I talked about in the game day open thread on the website. For those of you listening, each and every game we have an open thread in the Broncos hardcore free message board on the website where myself, Zach, staffers, VIP members and also non-members, but readers of the site, we share our thoughts and, and impressions and reactions in-game while the game's going on, the game day open thread. But what I was what I was talking about on that thread is that, you know, what do you do? Like, if you're an offensive coordinator, how do you maximize Case Keenum with the harsh realities that we know now six games into his career as a Bronco? And, Zach, here's what I think is you got to treat him – like what he is. You have to scheme around what he is. And that is, he's a high-level backup quarterback in the NFL. That's what he is. Okay, let's not... We, the delusions and illusions have to be shattered at this point. So here's an example. If you're an offensive coordinator, Zach, and, and your bona fide franchise QB, your starter goes down, and in comes Case Keenum to basically stop the gap and keep this thing going for a game or a week, however long until the starter heals up, what you see every offensive coordinator the league over do is batten down the hatches, focus on the actual staples of the offense that are working, and scheme that way. So you gotta you got to treat Case Keenum that way. He's not a guy who that you cannot win with Case Keenum throwing it more than 35 times a game. If today wasn't a perfect example of that, and last week, and the week before, I don't know what is. They're still trying to make Keenum this thing, and he's not this thing. And by thing, I mean a franchise quarterback. This was a, a journeyman guy. This was a, a career backup who was on multiple teams throughout a, a short, relatively short period of time. They gave him $18 million. They talked about like a franchise quarterback. And maybe compared to Trevor Simeon and Paxton Lynch, Brock Osweiler, yeah, he was better on paper. He had a career year last year. He, he played in the Dome in Minnesota with a great supporting cast, a great defense, top-notch coaching, great offensive weapons. And the Broncos didn't really offer that. They had lackluster coaching they had a defense in decline and an unproven offensive supporting cast they're trying to force Keenum on the team and the fan base and the media and it's just not happening they don't know their true identity and I say it every single week and every single week Bill Musgrave talks about getting back to running the football taking the training wheels off Royce Freeman and Philip Lindsay and yet still Case Keenum is throwing 40 50 times a game they just don't know what they want to do 
the only thing that's sure is they want to make they want to force this kingdom thing. They want to force a square peg into a round hole, and it's just not working. And until they go to their bread and butter and they kind of resign themselves to the fact of what Keenum is, which is a a pretty good backup and an average to above average starter. That is what he is. Mm-hmm. And that's the simple truth of it. And he's shown that. He's already thrown more inter- more interceptions, eight, than he threw all of last year. It's only week six. I, I mean, there's no excuse for it. He hasn't won one game on the strength of his shoulder. So until they go back to the bread and butter, which is running the football, and they kind of accept Keenum for what he is— and they resign themselves to that, uh, you're going to continue seeing more of the same. It's as simple as that. Check out the rating here. Again, this makes me laugh. We talked about this last week. Case Keenum went 25 of 41, 322 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. His rating, 91.7. Jared Goff. Now, granted, not a great game for Goff. No passing touchdowns, harassed and hurried throughout. 14 of 28 for 201 yards, an interception off a tip pass. And a rating of 58.8. Now, for those of us with eyeballs who watch the game, <laughs> those of us who are not, you know, necessarily Brain coaching dead. experts and analytics gurus, would you say Jared Goff was less deserving of, of a QB rating, a high QB rating than Case? I mean, give me a freaking break. You got to just, from now on, we just got to throw out that, that statistic of QB rating. But back to focus on Keenum here. 25 of 41. Now, our Alex Valdez tweeted out something during the game that I thought was actually quite timely, uh, and that is that, oh, great, you know, when, when the Rams were able to very briefly extend their, their lead to two scores late, late, late in the game, he said, oh, great, you know, here goes Case Keenum into the garbage time. You know, he's going to throw up a bunch of stats, and then you're going to have that faction both in the media and in the fan base, and then also in the coaches are going to delude themselves that, look, Keenum went over 300 yards. His TD-to-interception ratio was 2-1. to one. You know, he's not the problem. And miss the point of this four-game losing streak, which is that, look, if you're okay with Case Keenum uh, losing you games or if you're okay with a quarterback completely squandering a phenomenally talented offense, I mean, think about this: these skill positions – from Sanders to Thomas. Then you got freaking Cortland Sutton. Then you got Deshaun Hamilton. I mean, from a wide receiver skill set position, just forgetting everybody else. The Broncos are stacked to the gills. Tight end, not so great, granted. Then you go to the running backs, and you've got two of the leading rushers in the NFL in the same backfield, and they're rookies no less. This is a quarterback that is squandering that blessing that the football gods have bestowed upon the Denver Broncos. And the longer it takes for, for Joseph, the longer it takes for Elway and this this team to recognize how far short of the mark Case Keenum really is, that he is a significant part of the problem, they're going to continue to lose games. And it's like you go on the road, you go, oh, it's a short week, they can forget it. You know, you got the Arizona Cardinals coming up with a rookie quarterback and all that. Let us not forget, you guys, it's a road game. Vance Joseph is 1-9 on the road. His teams do not play well in another team's stadium. What do you expect? What do you think is going to happen on Thursday night, Zach? Uh, I, I probably will lean toward the fact that they're going to win that game, if only because the odds just kind of point to that. I would not be surprised if they lose. Don't get me wrong. After that Jets game, anything can happen. I do think they'll win, but it doesn't really do anything for me. It doesn't move the needle at all. And I agree with the point about garbage time with Case Keenum. He always racks up his stats. It's a good point. 
if you take away that last drive of the game when the Rams were up by two possessions, he'd have a touchdown, interception, under 300 yards, and uh, you know a, a quarterback rating that's under 90. I don't put any stock in that. That's the most worthless stat in football. Uh, he is part of the problem. When the Broncos were winning, which seems like an eternity ago, they were winning in spite of him, not because of him. He is part of the problem, a major part of it. And as much as Joseph wants to exonerate him for whatever reason while vilifying other people like Marquette King and Connor McGovern, he is part of the problem, Case Keenum. He was handed a lot of money to come in and be a major upgrade to make his supporting cast around him better like franchise quarterbacks do, and they've they've gotten worse on his watch. Save for maybe Emmanuel Sanders. I mean, he had a big game, but you take away a catch, a 43-yard catch, he's under, he has 70 yards. It's not a you know, a, a outstanding game. He's not making the positions around him better. And they don't give them a chance to thrive as a full, complete offense when you're still giving Royce Freeman and Phillip Lindsay 13 combined carries. Mm-hmm. And you have Keenum drop back 41 times 43. or 43. He had, he had two sacks. It just made the offensive imbalance, and that's not on Case Keenum, but the imbalance is so maddening. Because one part is is a glaring problem, and the other part could help you out. The running game, and they're just not giving them a chance to have a complementary um, feature to this offense. It's just mind-boggling. Now, I will grant that, look, Peyton Manning, he's an all-timer, right? He's a less than one percenter. I mean, he's a guy that comes around just every 25 years or so in the NFL. So it's not a great comparison. But I want you to just take your mind's eye for a second and imagine – Peyton Manning, in his relative prime, so Case Keenum, same age right now, pushing 30 somewhere in there, or even even Peyton Manning when he arrived in Denver at 36 in 2012 or 37, whatever he was. If you put him right now, that Peyton Manning, in this offense with the supporting cast, the offensive line, the skill positions, the running backs, as is, do you think that this offense would be a top-five offense in the NFL? What do you think, Zach? If you put Peyton Manning on this offense? Yeah, if you, uh, if you put Peyton, not 2015 falling apart Peyton Manning, but every so iteration of Peyton Manning before that. They are not 2-4 and four right now. They are probably 4-2, and two, if not 5-1. and one. I mean, it's just, it starts at the quarterback position, and his offensive line wouldn't do many favors, and he was way less mobile than Case Keenum, and the play calling wouldn't do any favors, but that'd be kind of canceled out by Peyton calling his own plays. They would not be two and four. This offense would be a top 10 unit. I have no question about that. You're talking about a goat. You're talking about one of the greatest of all time. Case Keenum is the furthest thing from that. Okay. I mean, he's, but, but he's, he'd take like a, t- take like Zach, my point though, because I don't want to lose sight of it. I'll forget it. I already forgot earlier in the show a point that I was trying to make and then I had to come back to it. But even take like one of the most, I mean, not necessarily like one of the top five quarterbacks in the league, even take a journeyman backup, career backup guy like a Ryan Fitzpatrick. Do you think this offense would be outproducing its current mean with a guy like Fitzpatrick in place of a Case Keenum? I, I think they need a bona fide franchise quarterback. I mean, he, that's a, it's a lateral move to me, Fitzpatrick and Case Keenum. I get your point, but they need a bona fide. Whether that's a young guy and they had a tra- chance to draft Rosen or Allen, they didn't. They had a chance to sign Kirk Cousins, they didn't. Teddy Bridgewater trade for him or whatever. They need a bona fide starting quarterback, and they're quickly finding out that Case Keenum is not that. So they need, whether it's not an Aaron Rodgers per se, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning in his prime, they need a bona fide franchise quarterback. Even Joe Flacco, let's say, to use that example. They would be three and two, four and one. I mean, the offense has contributed to at least two of their losses. 
either not helping out the defense or not stepping up in crunch time. Put it this way, Joe Flacco or even Ryan Fitzpatrick would not have missed Demarius Thomas in that Chiefs game, that wide-open pass. Mm. You're paying Case Keenum $36 million. He's airmailing passes, simple passes. Yep. I mean, that's, that's worse than a backup. Well, and the thing is, my, my point on this, too, is just so it doesn't get lost in the shuffle, is that, look, I understand you can't pivot to any outside quarterback that's worth its salt right now. I mean, you're in the middle of the season. All those guys are under contract. I'm not saying the team should go out and get Fitzpatrick or anyone else currently on, on under contract around the league right now. All I'm saying is that Case Keenum is operating this offense and putting guys in position to succeed the way a backup quarterback would do it, not a starter. He's not raising all ships like right. any above average. See, that's that's the one bone I'll pick with anything you've said so far tonight at all, Zach, is I don't think Case – last year, like this time last year, I would have said, yes, Case Keenum is an above average starter. Right now, I think he's a below average starting quarterback in the NFL. And the stats and the advanced analytics right now, that it bears it out. Now, I don't know what it is coming out of week six because not all the games have, have been played. And I haven't seen the, the grades yet through pro football focus. But going into week six against the Rams, he was ranked 29th overall with his, his grade. So I think that's a pretty good – now, I don't see pro football focus as the absolute on all things and you know as far as analysis on football – there's certain bones I have to pick with them, and, th- and you know you, you can't use it as the absolute and be all end all. But it's a good barometer overall for most individual um, performance measuring sticks, whatever you want to call it. And in the case of of Keenum, he is playing like a bottom third quarterback right now, which is technically below average. I do not disagree at all. That's, I guess, the one area where we agree and we share a brain is the fact that he is below average. Yeah. And the one great analogy that you made in the past is that they're getting the Texans version, the Rams version of Case Keenum, yeah. and not the Vikings version. They paid for a Ferrari, and they're getting a Pinto. That's the best way mm-hmm. I can put it. Yep. Well, and to talk more about Musgrave, is see, that's one of the things with Musgrave that's frustrating me right now is because I think from a design perspective, as far as his actual plays – He's doing a good job. And again, I think most quarterbacks would be capitalizing a lot more on what Musgrave has designed. But where he's falling short of the mark is his situational awareness. For example, you already touched on it, but the Broncos had 17 rushes as a team today to 43 planned passes. Now, granted, they were trailing throughout the entire game, but it was never a multi, you know, it was never beyond two scores where you have right. to completely abandon all balance. And yet, it's a completely lopsided uh, attack there from your run-to-pass ratio. And to go above and beyond that, to even break it down to the micro, or go from the macro to the micro, that red zone opportunity in the second half, where the Broncos, they could not settle for three here. I mean, against the Rams, you can't settle for a field goal. You are inside the 10-yard line. It's third down. What do they do? They run from the sh- they go from the shotgun. Case Keenum looks to his left. He sees freaking Jeff Hireman of all. Of all people, singled up one-on-one. And I thought Brandon Stokely, both you and I aren't huge fans of Brandon Stokely, the analyst. But on Twitter, he had uh, something very, I think, poignant to say as it relates to Bill Musgrave. And who who knows? That might have been a read Case Keenum liked in the moment. That might not not necessarily have been Musgrave saying, here's our matchup, here's our hot read. But Brandon Stokely, here's his tweet. Quote, are you kidding me? Third and five and we throw a fade to a tight end? that goes five yards out of bounds. That's awful football right there. Oh, yeah. 
the tight end, it wasn't Gronk, it wasn't Kelsey, or it wasn't Ertz. Close quote from his tweet. Preach. So that's, again, that's where it comes back. Now, again, that, that might not have been the greatest example to use as far as situational awareness, but how can you, Case Keenum's throw, A, was wide of the mark. B, it was the wrong read. In those clutch situations, Zach, you have to target your playmakers, of which Jeff Hireman is not. First of all, I hated the play call, and I said it on Twitter. It was awful play selection when they got down with that the five yard line or something like that, or it, within yep. you know it was third and five. I, it, a fade that's a low percentage play to the corner of the end zone to a guy who doesn't have a lot of jumping ability. Lest we forget the interception that he got snatched away from him. <laughs> I mean, he it's not the greatest target. You have Cortland Sutton, Demarius Thomas, two of the biggest, strongest possession receivers in the NFL. So if you're going to dial up a low percentage play, at least throw it to a guy who makes his living off that. That's right. To Jeff Hireman, of all, like you said, of all people, of all targets, I mean, the throw falls on Keenum, but the play selection falls on Bill Musgrave. And I started the year thinking he was very creative, and he had a couple creative calls tonight, but he leaves you sometimes scratching your head. Yeah. What are you doing? Run the ball. Even an inside shovel pass, a toss, a sweep, we don't see those. We see either something horizontal or something low percentage. And that, that what Brandon Stokely said was spot on because it, just, it gave them no chance and it killed their whole drive. Yeah. One point uh, I'd like to make, too, about Bill Musgrave, for those who might have missed it this past week, his father, who had been battling cancer, passed away and he had to travel, I think it was Monday, for uh, the funeral and then was back in the saddle. The Broncos gave him the plane to fly down to uh, Grand Junction, Colorado and uh, fly back. So he was back in the saddle Tuesday morning. So Musgrave, it's no excuse. I mean, you can't point to that as an excuse because it's been a theme really throughout the last four games, especially uh, all of which were losses, but he is human too. And he's got, you lose your father. I mean, it's a tough situation for him, but moving forward, it's just got to get better. And what doesn't help, and I'm curious, I'd like to be a fly on the wall and have this be able to answer this question and know what the answer is. Absolutely. But the decision, you touched on it already, but the decision to, okay, Vance Joseph comes comes out of the blowout in New York, stands at the podium Monday morning back in Denver, and he says, we just got blown out and we've lost three games, and there have to be changes. There have to be changes and there will be. I mean, he was very emphatic about that. What kind of changes did we actually see come out in the wash? Really, there's only mm-hmm. two things, and one of which we can't really measure that well. But he benches Connor McGovern, the right guard. And again, I wonder how much Musgrave had to say on that, if that was a Musgrave thing or if that was a VJ thing. Uh, we'll probably never know, or at least we won't know until this season as well in the books. But So that's change number one. He benches, arguably, and I'm not necessarily saying it is, but arguably Denver's best offensive lineman thus far through 2018, through five games anyway. He is... Uh, going into week six, Connor McGovern was pro football focuses, number four rated offensive guard. Now you could argue with me, oh no, Matt Paradis, and I wouldn't say that you're wrong because Paradis was currently the number two rated center in the NFL. But nevertheless, McGovern had a bad game against the Jets. It wasn't all bad, but just early on, especially in that game, he was not good, allowing Leonard Williams to just freaking penetrate and get into Keenum's face and stop the run. It was not a good game. But with how prolific the Broncos have been as a rushing offense, notwithstanding the lack of balance and issues on play calling from Bill Musgrave, they've been a dominant rushing team. And Connor McGovern had a big role in that. 
making that happen. He's been a phenomenal run blocker, not a great pass blocker, but a phenomenal run blocker. And then to, I mean, it'd be one thing if you had some like phenomenal option like a Ronald Leary just waiting to go in the game. You go, okay, maybe I can consider benching McGovern. But Max Garcia, you really Mm. think Max Garcia is going to be that missing ingredient, get your offense over the hump, give me a freaking break. So that's change number one, that Joseph stood at the podium, said, I'm going to make changes. There's the first thing we can measure. Two, and you reported on this before the game, Zach, but basically he supposedly had more of a say on the defensive calling in-game next to Joe Woods. But that's not necessarily something that we can measure from the outside. I mean, we're not on the headset. We don't hear who's stepping in and making the call. But even that, it's, I think, still too little. It's not enough when you're looking for changes. And it's something that I wrote after this game especially. We talked about it in last week's episode. I wrote about it after this fourth straight loss. It's time for change in the Mile High City at both the coaching level, Zach, and at the quarterback level, even though I know it's not going to come. The defensive play calling didn't look too much different to me than they did the last couple of weeks. And it wasn't even that major of a change because Joseph admitted last week after the Chiefs game that uh, he does call the plays in certain times. This has nothing new. This is SOP for them. So that's number one. Number two, what leads me to believe that it was his decision to bench Connor McGovern, which, by the way, boggles my mind. There was no reason to bench him when you have other culprits who deserve to be sat down because they rotated guards last year with Alan Barber and uh, Max Garcia. That was before Musgrave was installed as the permanent OC. So that's a Joseph thing. And like I said before, to exonerate people like Case Keenum, Garrett Bowles, Bradley Roby, but to vilify Marquette King, who was released due to injury, and Connor McGovern, a top five rated guard who had one bad game as a first year starter. I mean, it's going to happen. Garrett Bowles has struggled for a year and a half, but he gets a pass. But Connor McGovern has one bad game and he gets benched for an inferior replacement in Max Garcia with arguably the best defensive line coming to town in Aaron Donald and Adamican Sue and Michael Brockers. Of all the decisions that Joseph has made, the coaching mismanagement, this is top three to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. They started Garcia in the opening series of the game. The first two plays, he was beat by Aaron Donald Garcia was in a run blocking play and then pressured. He allowed pressure on Keenum in a pass blocking play. They put Connor McGovern back in. They had offensive production. Why would sit him down Mm. in the midst of this season? And that's your big change. He could have demoted Bradley Roby. He could have stripped Joe Wood to play calling, scapegoated him like like he did to Mike McCoy last year phased out Darian Stewart, started Josie Jewell, uh, promoted Jeff Holland, activate Demarcus Walker. These are tangible changes he could have made. But instead, he takes a cop out. He ostracizes a guard who's the best offensive lineman on the team, and he handles some play calling duties from Joe Woods, which is pretty much punishing quote-unquote Joe Woods without we can't prove it or disprove it. So these changes had no effect. They still lost, and they still disappeared in crunch time. So he has to step up as a leader of men like he supposedly was hired for, and it's up to him. The offense, uh, the play calling is not good enough. He needs to step in there and say, Bill Musgrave, we're on the freaking football. Stop passing so much. He needs to take charge. He coddled Emmanuel Sanders on the sideline after that taunting penalty. He should have been chewing him out like Jim Harbaugh would do, let's say. He, it just, he doesn't have that fire. He doesn't have that alphaness like we talked about yeah. in the past. He's that beta coach. 
And as long as he has that personality trait and as long as he acts like this, the Broncos team is going to be a reflection of their coach. It's just as simple as that. It, it was quintessential scapegoatism. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. McGovern was not deserving of being benched. And if there was anyone on that O-line that deserved to be benched, it was Garrett Bowles. And we saw why again in week six, yet another holding penalty. That's six for six. Six holding penalties in six games. He's going to finish 2018 yet again as the most penalized player in the NFL. But you know what's interesting is you bring all that up about not you know lacking the metal to make tough decisions as a leader, get in people's grills, you know, pressure, put pressure on the places it needs to be in order to get the results. We're not seeing that. And what's ironic about that too, Zach, is that that, you know, we've talked about the whole leader of men thing and the irony in, in, in that period, but his one year as a coordinator in Miami, he made a couple of very difficult decisions that flew in the face of fan, uh, what the fans wanted, what a lot of analysts saw as the right decision. He benches Mario Williams. And then he benches, what's that, I forget the corner's name, but he was the corner from Seattle who they had paid. Uh, like Maxwell. Four, Maxwell, yeah, Byron Maxwell. They brought him in, paid him $14, $15 million a year. He wasn't cutting the mustard, and Vance Joseph sat him down. Where is that level of gumption to make the difficult decisions in the face of scrutiny right now for your Denver Broncos? Like, where is that? The team could use that level of fearlessness right now. One of those things is the quarterback situation. We've talked about it before. Even if you're not going to bench Case Keenum, he needs to feel it from Chad Kelly right now because he went 3 of 10 on third down. Two of his sacks on third down. Well, both of his sacks on third down. Okay? And you're seeing him bail outside the back of the pocket like the worst quarterbacks do, like the most inexperienced, rattled quarterbacks in the league do, like Trevor Simeon, we saw him do for two years straight. Exactly. He's bailing the back of the pocket and just killing his offensive linemen. And then he gets sacked for a 14-yard loss on third down when the Broncos holding the Holding the ball. Holding the ball. I mean, and that's what I'm saying is Vance Joseph, and we know it's not going to happen. I mean, the best predictor of future behavior or future performance is past performance and there's nothing in his tenure as head coach of the Denver Broncos Zach that can lead us to believe that Zach, that that Vance Joseph has it in him to make some of those tough decisions and sacrifice short-term criticism I think is the word I'm looking for for long-term gain because he would certainly be criticized even the fans would love it but the media would mercilessly criticize Vance Joseph for benching Case Keenum right now just by virtue of the money they paid Keenum but if he were to do that, I think you would see the offense take a modest step forward under Chad Kelly because Kelly understands how to feed playmakers. He might be inexperienced. You know, he might be lacking in the E word, but he is a playmaker himself. If, if Chad Kelly is nothing else, it's that he is a playmaker at the quarterback position. So anyway, I digress. But that's the biggest irony of this whole thing, Zach. We can't expect it to change. He was a leader of men in Miami. He's benching dudes in the face of criticism. He's not going to do it now. First of all, let me say that Chad Kelly had the greatest kneel down of all time. Did you hear that crowd reaction? It was wild. <laughs> yeah. uh, um, maybe he had more freedom, Vance Joseph, in Miami under Adam Gase as a defensive coordinator. Maybe he handled his side of the ball and he didn't have to answer to anyone. Maybe, you know, Gase gave him more flexibility to do what he wants in terms of personnel. It goes back to John Elway hiring a yes man, though. 
And that's exactly what Vance Joseph is. And I hate to say it. I hate to put, um, you know, reputations on people and to characterize people in certain ways. But he is a yes man. He is a puppet. John Elway runs this team through Vance Joseph. And Joseph will never push back. He's a company man. That's what he is. And it's, some people are like that. They get a job and they want to appease their boss and that's that. Yeah. But he'll never make that tough decision. He would never take away the quarterback that John Elway signed that targeted that handed $36 million to, 18 a year, 25 guaranteed, to replace him for an untested seventh-round draft pick. It's just he doesn't have the stones. And I want to exonerate him for one thing, Garrett Bowles. He should be benched right now. Any other tackle in the NFL, if they continue to get beat and hold and kill their team, first-round pick or not, they'd be benched. The problem is the Broncos have no one to bench him for. They still don't have a capable backup tackle, a successor or someone they're grooming to bench Garrett Bowles for. They have Elijah Wilkinson, who is pretty much a no one. And that falls on John Elway for not stocking the cupboard, so to speak. They, they're relying on an untested, uh, extremely raw Garrett Bowles, who is a major project coming out of Utah. And they're relying on an injury-prone Jared Valdir, who's living up to his reputation and is also in a contract year. What happens if he walks in the offseason? The Broncos are still looking for a right tackle. That answer is not Billy Turner. It's not Elijah Wilkinson. It, Elway is – he has so much more criticism this year and than in years past, and, and people are starting to take notice of that. Mm-hmm. And Vance Joseph has magnified that with his own failures. Hiring Vance Joseph could turn out to be the death knell in Elway's reputation. It just exposed all of his fatal flaws because you cannot cover up the roster mismanagement with a coach like Vance Joseph. If you had a better coach, you can cover up having a bad left tackle. You could scheme around it, so to speak, or a bad cornerback like Bradley Roby. But hiring Vance Joseph and putting him in this position and maybe not giving him the freedom to bench certain players, it's just exposing the Broncos roster for the holes that it has. And that does fall on Elway, not so much Vance Joseph. You know, that is a good point because— it wouldn't surprise me if Joseph went upstairs and said, "Look, we got to bench the, the the first rounder. We got to bench Garrett Bowles." And Elway said, "Well, you know, if you got to make an example of somebody on the offensive line, it's got to be anybody but Bowles." Well, why do you say that? Do you th- do you really think now, those of you listening, if Bowles now again he's a first round pick, and even right now, if he got benched and never played again in 2018, that doesn't mean he's a lost cause because he is ridiculously talented. Like they're is the possible you don't give up on your first round picks, especially the the ones that are super talented. But if you were to bench Garrett Bowles right now, as a guy who lacks that certain football IQ that we talk about all the time, how do you think he would handle that on an emotional level? I don't think he would handle it well. I don't think he could handle that benching. I think it would yeah. kill his confidence. But I could see John Elway saying something like, "Hey, I think McGovern could handle it. I think Connor McGovern could take being benched." Because they're not going to bench Leary. They're paying him. Obviously, we've seen that. Follow the draft pedigree and the dollars. That's how you know who's going to be played each and every week, performance notwithstanding. If you're getting paid right now, you're counting against the cap at a significant number, or you're a recent first-round pick, your job is safe. We know that. That's the John Elway way as far as roster management in season. And I don't. you might not be wrong on that, Zach, that – 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Some of this stuff is trickling down from the front office as far as not making some of the tough decisions that need to be made because it flies very much in the face of what we knew about Vance Joseph in Miami. I mean, just benching Mario Williams, that in and of itself on an, uh, for a defense that needed pass rush and benching a player that at that point was still among the league's best as far as, you know, he's coming off a great season. And they needed pass rush in Miami, and, and he had the stones and the gumption to swallow that short-term payoff for the long-term benefit of the team, and it paid off. The Dolphins ended up making the playoffs, and, you know, they lost right out of the gates and bounced, but Joseph's unit, they finished in the bottom third overall as a defense, but they played tough in key moments, and he had the gumption to make those tough decisions. And you might not be wrong. Look, we don't have... Uh, you know, we're not a fly on the wall, okay? And even though we have sources and things we get, I mean, even the, the, the most plugged-in insiders around the league, there's certain things that are never going to be communicated to them. And one of them is going to be the specific dynamic and relationship between a GM and a head coach, what decision is made by whom. But it wouldn't surprise me, Zach, if you're right on the money on that and that some of these decisions that we're questioning and why – you know, a guy like Vance Joseph, after everything we knew and what we saw from him in Miami, is not pulling the trigger on some of those tough decisions. It might be because of what's happening above him and the message coming from from on high. Well, Bowles, let me just say, in and of himself, that selection falls on Elway. As hard as I am on Vance Joseph, and I am, I'm one of his bigger critics, he can only work with what he has. He didn't make the choice to draft Garrett Bowles. That was John Elway. And he knew coming out, this is a guy who's extremely raw, who had technique issues in college, um, some off-the-field mental concerns, and he took him over better, more polished tackle prospects, including Ryan Ramchick, who most people wanted. So, you know, that goes back to Elway's draft pedigree, and he doesn't have the, the greatest track record in the draft. I mean, let's, you know, Paxton Lynch and all those other players. Garrett Bowles, I don't want to say the B word just yet. It's a little premature for that, but he's definitely veering in that direction. Yeah. And that's another former first-round pick who's a stain on Elway's resume. He just he looks worse than he did last year. And you can point to coaching all you want, but at some point you got to point the finger at Elway for making that selection and installing him as a left tackle on not either trading for a better one or scouting a better one in the draft. So yeah. as much as I am, I'm so hard on Vance Joseph. And a lot of it's justified. He is not the right coach for this team. But he does not buy the groceries. He just makes the recipes. Yep. And the last thing I'll say, because we do have to move on here, is that if you're still questioning whether or not the offensive line and guys like Garrett Bowles are getting the right coaching, I mean, with what they decided to do, splitting up Chris Strauss around the tackles, and what's the dude that came from UTEP? I just, his name Coogler. Is, yeah, Sean Coogler uh, on the interior guys. Okay. Has anyone else that has seen significant snaps on the Broncos' offensive line. Underperformed besides Garrett Bowles, no. In fact, everyone else has elevated. They're playing above, I would say, what what expectations were, at least before the season, including Billy Turner at right tackle. So 
you know, a good point. The, the coaching's there. It's the guy just doesn't, and the talent's there for Garrett Bowles. He just doesn't have it between the ears. And we still have a ton to get to. Uh, we're going to talk about the defense. We're going to get to your questions and exercise some demons in the Mile High Mailbag. But first, we got to talk about the sponsor of our friends, my bookie. Because look, watching football is fun. But it's more entertaining when you have some action on the games. Guys, you've heard us talking about it for weeks, and some of you are still on the sidelines. Whether you're an expert or a rookie, you should be betting at my bookie. If you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, like playing the numbers on roulette, you can create a big parlay. Pick three teams to win, and if you hit all three, you could turn $100 into $600. There's so much to bet on. Playoff baseball, well, that's still going. Hockey, primetime fights, basketball, and more. But my bookie is the one bet I know you'll be happy with all year. I recommend these guys because I really trust them. My bookie has been in business for years, and they got great online reviews, and their mobile site is easy to use, which is key. If you're on the sidelines, now is the time to get in the game. My bookie will still match your first deposit dollar for dollar, but you got to join now because they'll be pulling that offer soon. Log on to MyBookie right now and double your money. Use promo code HUDDLE and you'll get your first deposit matched 100%. That's promo code HUDDLE. MyBookie, you play, you win, you get paid. All right, so let's move on and talk about the defense. Now, I think we've already touched on, obviously, the issues. uh, Well, at least we've touched on the fact that they allowed a 200-yard rusher yet again at the individual level in Todd Gurley. But it's the first time in Broncos history, in the storied history of this franchise, that they've ever allowed back-to-back individual rushers to reach 200 yards. So that's an indictment, you know, and I I really do think it's more of an indictment on the players, and it's a lack of execution, and, and at certain levels of the defense, it's a lack of talent. But it also falls on Joe Woods, because at the end of the day, he's the defensive coordinator. It's his job to recognize where the team is lacking in talent, to recognize where the team is falling short from an execution perspective, and to scheme around that, whether that's through X's and O's or substitutions, he's not getting it done. And I think the biggest issue here, Zach, now, you know, you don't want to exonerate the outside linebackers who struggled at times setting the edge. You don't want to exonerate the defensive line uh, because they have not played great from a tackling perspective, that front seven has just been horrendous. But the off-ball linebackers are not getting it done. And Josie Jewell, you know, he's still he went into week six as a top five rated off-ball linebacker, according to Pro Football Focus. And that accounts for all three, four inside linebackers and four, three uh, linebackers. So he was the fourth rated off-ball linebacker. And there's a reason why. He's done a great job. He hasn't been perfect. There are are a couple of plays each and every game that he wants back. But on a macro level, comparing him to Davis and Marshall, you can't even do it. Brandon Marshall has got to get off the field. Todd Davis has got to get off the field after second down. And listen, we everyone questioned, why in the Sam Hill is the are the Broncos carrying six off-ball linebackers on the 53? Well, I think it's because they recognized that they were getting old at off-ball and they lacked some experience behind Marshall and Davis, and so they wanted to hedge their bet. Well, guess what? Now it's time to push your chips into the table and go, look, these two guys are not getting it done. We want to keep Josie Jewell on the field as much as reasonably possible, but now it's time to give other guys a shot at this, like Joseph Jones. 
even Keyshawn B. Area. Let's activate Alexander Johnson, the, the player formerly known as AJ. Let's make some changes here because there's a reason the Broncos are giving up 200 yards in back-to-back games, and a lot of it falls on the off-ball linebackers who are continuing to take terrible angles. They're picking the wrong gaps to fill, and both Marshall and Davis have not been good at tackling throughout this four-game losing streak. And I think, Zach, if they could tweak that and make some changes, and maybe you got to start slow. Maybe you just seed a few of the snaps from Marshall and Davis to a Joe Jones. But you got to start somewhere. you got to make some changes there. Even though you're paying these guys a ridiculous amount of money, both Marshall and Davis, you got a lot of money invested in them, but it's not paying dividends, so you got to make some changes there. What the hell happened to ground control? Do you remember that? Top five last year, they had the nickname going. They were shutting down every running back in their path. Yep. And now they're allowing back-to-back 200-yard rushers, including 300 rushing yards last week. And I expect that from Todd Gurley, but to Isaiah Crowell on <laughs> the Jets offense, yep. uh, it's it's the whole defensive front seven, even the secondary. You saw Tremaine Brock take a terrible angle on, on a Gurley down. run to the outside. Yeah. yeah, and that's coaching right there. And what's funny to me is Vance Joseph this week emphasized tackling and responsibility and gap control. They had more meetings as opposed to practice, and nothing came of it. He took over play calling. It still comes down to execution on the field. And until you drill those things in the players' minds, nothing's going to change. The Broncos will rue handing out those contracts to Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis. And I could see Marshall in a couple years ago. He was a a very athletic linebacker. But to bring back Davis on a three-year contract and then draft Josie Jewell in the fourth round, I've been advocating for at least two weeks now, sit Marshall down. He's become a weakness of this defense. Let Josie Jewell take over. He's going to be the long-term starter anyway. You might as well expedite that process now. Get some other players on the field like you mentioned, Jones, Johnson. I said activate Demarcus Walker. Maybe he can help and run support. They're not making any tangible changes. And the defense is getting gashed around the edge, up the middle. Uh, Peko gets moved out of the way sometimes. Derek Wolf gets blown back. Adam Gotsis. Shelby Harris hasn't done anything this year after being moved to nose tackle. Another coaching mismanagement, by the way way he was the second he had the second most sacks last year at defensive end let's move him to nose tackle that makes a lot of sense the whole front seven and the whole defense in general it's coaches coaching players play and that's vance's favorite expression this year and there's some truth to it though there is because you can only expect so much from players on the field you can only do so much they don't have the proper coaching in place and they don't have the proper horses pun intended to execute the defensive scheme Maybe they should go away from a 3-4. Maybe play more 4-3 looks. Maybe more bear defense. Anything. Tangible changes. Not that I'm going to take over some play calling duties from Joe Woods and I'm going to uh, you know, not scapegoat him and I'm going to sit Connor McGovern for Max Garcia. No. They need to learn how to stop the run because they play David Johnson in a few days. Mm. I mean, he's gonna, what's he going to do to them? It's just... What was a pillar of strength last year, which was the run defense, has turned into a source of weakness. And what was a weakness, their pass defense last year, of all things, has now devolved into a terminal illness. The whole de- There's no strength to this defense at all, aside from maybe their outside pass rush. Yeah. I thought it was interesting what Von Miller had to say after the game about one of the reasons, anyway, the Broncos failed yet again to stop the run. Here's what he said real quick. You know, when the, when the ball coming to me, I, I, just, can't, I just can't, you know, uh, I, I just can't. Uh, you know, get it done. I got to watch the film and, you know, figure it out what I can do, you know, um, to make things happen. I mean, we knew we was going to be a little bit leaky in the run today because the pass was our focus. But, you know, 272 yards is just, you know, ridiculous. And, um, 
you know, I, I, I just gotta, I gotta do better. I um, was able to, you know, get some sacks today, but the game changing plays, you know, still didn't make it. You know, I, I'm, I, it's, it's me. You know, um, Chubb had a great day today. Um, we gotta get, we gotta make those big plays. I was close on, I was close on one, but uh, you know, close don't, close really don't don't do it for you in the National Football League. It's as we suspected, Zach, that they focused. You know, you you realize going against the best or one of the best offenses in the NFL. I think statistically they, the Rams went into this the best. You're not going to be able to stop them. You're going to have to give up ground somewhere. It's going to happen. you got to pick your poison, so to speak. And they, they chose to sell out to stop Jared Goff, and in that sense were successful, but they, they ended up giving up 272 yards on the ground. So it's interesting when you hear a player stand at the podium and admit Look, we sold out to stop the friggin' passing, but even us, even even we did not foresee 272 yards on the ground. Yeah, I, I, every time I think they're going to step up and they're going to have a good game plan in place, they just crap the bed. And it was, used to be their strength to stop in the run. Like last year, they were top five. Like I said, they were shutting down every running back in their path. And a hundred yard game would be a, a huge. You, you would you would hold your head in disbelief. A hundred yard effort by a running back. Now two hundred yards. It's this is this is video game you know levels of output from opposing running backs. Yeah. And it's only going to get worse until they learn how to utilize their talent. And the talent on the field learns how to utilize a scheme. You can't. You can only teach how to tackle for so long. They still miss tackles today. A I mean, lot. that's a, that's a fundamental part of football. You learn that in peewee. Wrap up low, not high. Hit low. And they keep going high. I mean, they take terrible angles. That's coaching. That's also player execution. And you can overcome one or the other in the NFL, but you can't overcome both. That's mm-hmm. a death blow to a season. So yep. uh, it's very unfortunate. That's all I can really say. Let's talk about something a little bit more positive on the defensive side and talk about the fact that Chubb and Vaughn showed up when the Broncos needed them to. Now, you know, there weren't those strip sack fumbles in the clutch that you hope for, you know, in a perfect world. But, hey, after three games, basically, of both guys disappearing, Bradley Chubb had his coming out party, albeit in a loss, but he had three sacks on the day, multiple, multiple pressures, five combined tackles, and then on the other side of the line, Von Miller shows up with one and a half sacks, multiple pressures himself, and five tackles. So that's the level of performance. Look, we understand Bradley Chubb's not going to be able to tally three sacks each and every week. Okay, that's not realistic. But that consistent force at the point of attack and on the edge, from a pass rushing perspective, Zach, that's what you want to see. Now, maybe they they didn't do as well as they could have in setting the edge. And Von Miller talked a lot about that in his post game press conference, which. You know, you can go and watch that on YouTube or on Broncos Facebook when you get some time, those of you listening. But we can at least address the fact that they didn't do a great job setting the edge and funneling Todd Gurley back inside where the D-line and the off-ball linebackers could swarm and tackle. But focusing on the positive, hey, the pass rush finally showed up. You got a number five overall pick and one of the highest paid defensive players in the league. They showed up and earned their paychecks today. Yeah, and Bradley Chubb finally played like a number five overall pick. And a lot of Broncos fans were expecting him to come in right away and be the, the defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year. And I warned Broncos fans on, on Facebook, on Twitter, on here, it's going to take some time. There's going to be some growing pains. You're transitioning from hands-in-the-dirt defensive end in college to stand-up outside linebacker in the NFL. 
And it's, it's one of the tougher transitions to make. Just ask Demarcus Walker last year. It, there's going to be some uh, you know growing pains, like I said. But this is a glimpse of what Bradley Chubb offers. This is why they ran his card up to the podium. They couldn't believe he was still on the board. This is what happens when you have him playing up to potential. It frees up Von Miller, finally. It's no coincidence that once Chubb got going and he demanded attention on that side, you saw Von get home also. There was a couple um, half sacks there that he's flew with Darian Stewart or whatever. But this is what the pass rush could be. And throw away Shane Ray and Shaq Barrett, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, this is the future of the franchise at pass rusher. In terms of getting to the quarterback, they confused the hell out of Jared Goff. I have no um, qualms about how they did. They made him look like a, a p- pedestrian quarterback for the most part. They rattled him. They got to him. They pressured him. You can't expect the outside linebackers to also hold up and run support. you got to put some of the onus on the defensive line. They have to hold their water, too. Yeah. I mean, for a player like Bradley Chubb, asking him to rush the passer and, and take up double teams and help out Von Miller, that's hard in itself. But to also make him uh, be the last line of defense, so to speak, in the front seven, otherwise uh, a running back can spring for 40 yards, that's too much to put on one guy. So I'm going to look at it in two separate entities here. As a pass rusher, it was a the best game that Bradley Chubb has played by far. And finally, Von Miller shed his three-game sackless streak, and he finally got going again. This is what makes him the one of the highest-paid defenders in the NFL. So if they can keep this going, those sack totals will skyrocket like we thought they would be. He's not going to hit 30 sacks Von Miller like he wants every year. He's not going to come close to that. But he can definitely get going now because, like he said, sacks come in bunches. You never know when it's going to happen. This was a glimpse of what they could be. We have to hope that they could just keep this production going as tough as it may be. Yep. Von Miller, for what it's worth, has now tied on the all-time in the, 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 the record books for the NFL. Von Miller has tied Ken Harvey for 47th most sacks all-time with 89. So he's only 11 sacks away now, Von Miller, from hitting 100 in his career, which it's still conceivable. He could hit that in 2018 if he takes this as kind of a launching pad to, you know, pick back up some momentum and carry it forward. One thing before we move on and talk about Bradley Roby that I'm interested to see with Bradley Chubb is going into this game against the Cardinals, a big bone of contention, many fans ruining Denver's decision to pass on a quarterback and take Chubb at number five. Chubb, I think he's going to have his dander up, and he's going to have a huge boost of confidence on that three-sack game going into Arizona against Josh Rosen. I think he's going to be out for blood, Zach, to prove, look, my team made the right decision taking me at number five, and I'm going to prove it by putting this dude in the dirt all game long. I was just going to say that if, if Vaughn wants to get to that number, 11 more sacks, he, he could get a few on Josh Rosen, who tends to hold the ball, and he doesn't have the best offensive line. This game, that's why I think they, they'll probably win this game. I just have a feeling uh, it could be a dominant defensive effort. A rookie quarterback with not a great supporting cast, if they can kind of shut down or contain David Johnson, which is no easy task for them, uh, it could be a game where it could be a coming out party for the entire defense, and they can finally play on all cylinders. I, I fully agree that this is a confidence booster. This is something to build on for Bradley Chubb. This is what you wanted to see from him. Some people were already saying that maybe they should have took Denzel Ward or maybe you know maybe the Browns made the right decision. Maybe right. they should have took a quarterback. It, it, this is showing why they were so happy to get him. And this is a long-term bookend and franchise pass rushers do not grow on trees. So you can have two on the same defense. It's going to be a, a scary defense for a long time. So I think Thursday could be another um, a good game for both those pass rushers. And one last last thing I'll throw in here uh, before we segue 
is the fact that they did it against two of the top tackles in the NFL going into week six. Left tackle Andrew Whitworth was rated number two in the league by Pro Football Focus. Meanwhile, right tackle Rob Havenstein was ranked right behind Whitworth at number three. And you saw Vaughn Miller and you saw Bradley Chubb get it done against two of the guys playing at the highest level right now in the NFL. So that's, if you're looking for silver linings, that's certainly one of them. Now, last thing, and then we're going to get to the mailbag because you guys have a ton uh, that you uh, wanted to get off your chest this week. A lot of questions and a lot of tweets for the mailbag. But Bradley Roby, it did not look good. Now, for those of you who missed this, Roby did not show up for work on Monday following his torching at MetLife Stadium where he allowed two deep touchdowns to Robbie Anderson and multiple other receptions. It was his career worst game ever on the road at the Jets. Didn't show up for work on Monday. The team tagged him with a, a fine of sorts. He wrote and reported on that, Zach, uh, a couple days back. And then to start this game, all eyes were on Roby because the Broncos, in a perfect world, you bench Bradley Roby, not just for his poor performance, but for lack of professionalism, not showing up to work on Monday and not communicating with his coaches and basically not being there for his team. You bench that guy and move on. You send a message to that locker room. But unfortunately, with Adam Jones banged up and the issues the Broncos have had at cornerback this year, the team just could not afford for Bradley Roby to not be on the field. But early on, it looked like they were going to rue that decision as he relinquished a 44-yard completion to Brandon Cooks on LA's opening drive. And then on the next drive, big third down conversion to Robert Woods where it just looked like Roby was operating at about 75% speed, like 75% effort. It's like I tell my son before every football game he plays. I say, look, you know, I'm not going to lie to you and pretend that winning doesn't matter. It does. Okay. But I'm not going to be upset if you lose this game so long as you gave maximum effort, maximum effort. And it didn't look like that at first from Bradley Roby, but then after that first quarter, it looked like he kind of shook off some jitters and found some confidence. I thought he mostly held up really well for the sustained portion of that game. He did. He did. And I'm not going to take anything away from him. In the second half, he did settle down because he was atrocious in the first couple series. I mean, like I wrote on Twitter, he wasn't just getting beat. He looked absolutely lost on the field. He was turned around. But I wonder, in the second half, how much he benefited from having a pass rush that was confusing Jared Goff and not allowing a quarterback to set up time in the pocket. Let's say the pass rush wasn't as successful. Would Bradley Roby still have held up in the second half? Would you have not heard his name? Of course, it's a hypothetical. We'll never know for sure. I do give him credit for settling down, but he did not inspire much confidence. I'm not going to come away from this game thinking, oh, all of his struggles are in the past now. I'm not worried about him anymore. No, if they had a better cornerback on the roster, he wouldn't be starting right now. First round pick or not. He, he did hold up well. I will give him that. It was better than we saw the last couple of weeks. But I'm still worried about him. He's still a, a weak point of this defense. And I don't put too much stock into his absence or that whole brouhaha. Uh, that was kind of an overblown thing. He should have told the medical staff that he was sick or whatever, should have communicated better. But it wasn't like they were in serious consideration of benching him. They never even, I don't think they even thought about that. They can't at all. Just like Garrett Bowles, they're stuck with him. If they had a better corner, and if they didn't play so much nickel and dime, um, they would probably have a better cornerback in place. It is something to build on. I, I want to see him do it, though, for a consecutive stretch. If he has a good game on Thursday against the Cardinals, against, let's say, Larry Fitzgerald, I will start to give him more credit. Absolutely. Absolutely. A lot remains to be determined here in the near future for Bradley Rowe. And once other silver lining is, 
you know, there's a couple of, of uh, head slappers from Tremaine Brock in run support. But from a coverage perspective, I, th- I was pleasantly surprised by him. In fact, that interception that Darian Stewart came away with, he has Tremaine Brock to, to thank for that. So, you know, Tremaine Brock, when he's healthy, I think he can be at least a solid contributor on this defense and take some of that pressure off of Bradley Roby. And Chris Harris Jr., I thought, once again, was very, very good uh, with w- one play that I can think of when uh, on a crossing route underneath that he just got burned on because he was kind of late to react and the guy they ran motion pre-snap and it was just great play design and execution on the part of LA and you're no matter how good you are as a defender at whatever position when it's excellent play design and execution by your opponent sometimes you're going to give up a play but overall Chris Harris Jr. has been a godsend for this Broncos team who has struggled on the back end, both at the safety level and the corners. So we still have a lot to get to in the Mile High Mailbag, and Zach and I are going to breeze through all of your questions and concerns because there are a lot of them today. But first, got to say thank you to our friends Lightstream. Have you guys ever looked at your credit card statement and been shocked by the interest rate? Well, did you know that you can actually roll all of your credit card debt into one monthly payment at a lower fixed interest rate? Lightstream offers credit card consolidation loans from 5.9% APR with AutoPay. That's lower than the average credit card interest rate, which is over 18% APR. You can get a loan from $5,000 to $100,000, and you can even get your funds as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a great interest rate and no fees. And here's a fun fact. Lightstream plants a tree with every loan they fund we got to save the planet. Lightstream's doing their part in that degree as well. Our listeners will get a special discount on top of Lightstream's already low rates. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com slash huddle up. That's lightstream, L-I-G-H-T-S-T-R-E-A-M dot com slash huddle up. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.50% auto pay discount, Terms and conditions apply, and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash huddle up for more information. Again, we say thank you to them because it's a phenomenal service. For those of you out there getting just strapped by consumer debt, there's your opportunity to get things back on track. Now, Zach and I are going to breeze through as fast as we can with our reaction and responses to your questions here uh, because we are running long. So we'll keep this our, our, our responses brief, but... We got to get to it because we're your football priests. And each and every week, we're here to offer the absolution and the answers to your burning Broncos questions. And sometimes you just got to get things off your chest. In the midst of a four-game losing streak, you got to exercise the demons. And the first one comes from Gary Smith. And I think it's indicative to the way that a lot of members of Broncos country are feeling right now, just that there's nothing really left to say that hasn't already been said. Gary says, quote, I got nothing, same old. Feels like this will be spun as a moral victory, regardless of VJ's comment. Falling in neutral is how this feels. Zach, your response to Gary. I mean, Vance literally said that it was not a moral victory, so Gary's spot on there. And it is. It's more of the same from them. The Broncos showed what Joseph terms as grit, a good grit today against an undefeated team, but it wasn't good enough. There's no column in the stat column for grit. It's wins and losses. It's just, you know, a loss is a loss is a loss. Like a win is a win is a win. It's just as simple as that. And not only that, but I think the biggest impact of the quote-unquote moral victory is this team and its self-talk believing that, you know what, we don't, we're, we're close. 
We hung with two of the best teams in the league. Yeah, we fell short at home in both games, week four and week six, but we hung with them, and that's going to be their excuse not to make some of the changes, some of the tough changes that need to be made. Now, our next uh, question comes from Dion Hicks. Here's a cool stat I just saw on TV. There's only one QB who has a turnover in every single game this season, and then he asks us, can you guess who it is? Case Keenum. Then he says, shake my head. Yeah, $36 million. 25 fully guaranteed, 18 a year for a quarterback who's no better statistically than Josh Allen and Marcus Mariota. Only those two quarterbacks have worse passer ratings than Case Keenum. He's tied for the NFL lead in interceptions with eight. He's thrown more than all of last year already through week six. That says the entirety of what what he's doing for them right now. He's a mediocre quarterback who's getting paid franchise quarterback money. There's only one way to get Case Keenum to play any better than he has through the first six weeks, and that's to put pressure on him and make him feel like his opportunity is at risk. And the only way to do that is either bench him or to cede significant snaps to Chad Kelly, which I just don't think is going to happen quite yet. Now, our next question comes from Bgot on Twitter, at the real Bgot. Question, Zach, why won't they use Freeman and Lindsey more? I'm wondering the same thing. That's a question for Bill Musgrave. He talked about wanting to get the running game going, and I I will say that a lot of the Broncos' use of the running backs versus passing is dependent on game flow and game script, and if they fall behind early, they're forced to pass the ball. They can't run the ball being down 14 points, but that's their bread and butter, and they would control game flow if they kept the running game going and and the opposing offense on the sideline kept the clock at their advantage. They have to. That's how they're going to win. I've been talking about it for weeks now on every medium here. That is their bread and butter. They're going to win by running the ball. They have two of the best rookie running backs, two of the best running backs in general in the entire NFL, and they're combining for a handful of carries per week. There's no excuse for that. They, they're they trying to force Keenum into this thing, this franchise quarterback, and it's coming in spite of what could be a dominant running game. Yep. I mean, the other thing to think about here, uh, B-Got, is that from Musgrave and, and Keenum, what they've told you is that from a play-calling perspective, they're taking what the defense is giving them, and what the defense is giving them is the passing game. They're stacking the box and daring Case Keenum and Bill Musgrave to throw. And they're throwing. They're obliging the defense. They're saying, okay, we're going to throw and try and exploit you, but they just, due to the quarterback play, they're not able to get it done. So that's the rub. Next one comes from Dion Hicks on Twitter. Uh, Case just throws interceptions on seam routes. Do you think we should just remove the seam routes from our playbook, Zach? That's a great observation, and I've noticed that also, that he just cannot make those throws between the hashes. And it just could be a weakness of his. You know, Trevor Simeon had his weaknesses. Every quarterback, minus Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, they have their weakness. And if it's not working, Musgrave and the coaches need to observe that film and take it out of the playbook for sure. They should play to his strengths, and they're not. He is best off play action. He is best outside the pocket. This is not just my eyeballs. This is statistics. And they're they're not using play actions to their advantage. They're not being creative. They're not moving the pocket. They're not rolling them out. It goes back to coaching. Coaching, coaching, coaching. And until they improve in that area, they're wasting what little talent that Keenum does offer this offense. So if, if you can't throw a seam route, they can't complete it, it's going for negative plays, take it out of the playbook. Go to a different play. Yep, four of his eight interceptions this year have come on those seam routes. So definitely an issue, definitely something from a scheme perspective they got to address. Now, Amber, she sent in multiple questions. Her first tweet to us, I think we've addressed handily on tonight's episode. But her second one speaks to an issue I know is really sticking in your craw, Zach. Amber, at Amber74353910. Amber, you want to shorten that handle? 
<laughs> but Amber's question, when will we see DeMarcus Walker? Uh, I've gotten, I'm over being surprised about it. I'm over being mad about it. I've answered this question so many times on so many different, you know, social media channels. We're not going to see Demarcus Walker, you know, until there's an injury. It's a numbers game right now. They dress five defensive linemen. Advanced Joseph loves Zach Kerr over Demarcus Walker. They do not trust him for whatever reason. This is a former second round pick. They converted him back to defensive end from outside linebacker, had him put on all his weight that he lost prime for a breakout year. He's been around the quarterback in every opportunity in preseason, this 2017 season finale, and they are making him inactive, a healthy scratch every single week. It blows my mind that he can't even get a chance to get some snaps on the field over a player like Zach Kerr. But to answer your question, Amber, they are not going to play Demarcus Walker until or unless an injury arises. Yeah, I agree with that. And the funny thing is, it's it comes down to Zach Kerr because Shelby Harris – uh, even though he's being misused, I think, in this defensive front, he is still Shocker. Denver's top-rated defensive lineman as, a, as it relates to pro football focus. He went into this week as the 17th overall-rated defensive lineman in the NFL. So they're not going to seed snaps from him. If Demarcus Walker has any hope of seeing the field, it's going to be at the expense of Zach Kerr, who missed a couple of tackles today. So keep an eye on that situation. There is a glimmer of hope. Now, here's our last question because I'm sorry we have run long, but this is one that's on the hearts and minds of every member of Broncos country right now. And that question is from Justin M at Justin M45 on Twitter. When will Chad Kelly start and when will we see changes on the coaching staff set? We're not going to see Kelly start in, in, until or like or unless, like I just said with Walker, an injury arises. Until Keenum suffers an injury, and Broncos fans rooting for that probably would have been happy to see Keenum get concussed today. He was cleared of that. It's not going to change. This team is tied to Case Keenum. They handed him the keys. This is his offense for better or for worse. The only situation I could see is it going hand in hand. If they clean house or at least fire Vance Joseph, let's say, at the bye week, and they are out of it by, you know, week 12, let's say, and they're they're tanking for the rest of the season, they're, they're playing for draft position, then they might give Kelly, they might, you know, feign an injury to Case Keenum, they might give Kelly a shot. But until that happens, this is Keenum's offense, for better or for worse. The only way Kelly is going to see the field is the only, is until uh, Keenum goes down with an injury. Now, I would have agreed with that 100% in week one. But here's what I would say now. And I, I don't disagree with you on a macro level. I think that's the third time I've used macro in this podcast. You know, <laughs> when you're speaking off the top of your head, sometimes you just go on these little rants and you kind of hold on to things. But I digress. Where I disagree is that I think that week 10 is the date to circle for those of you pining for Chad Kelly. I wrote today after the game that it's time to bench Case Keenum it's time to make some changes it's not going to happen especially on a short week but that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be said we've said it Chad Kelly though it's week 10 and here's what's going to happen is the Broncos might win in Arizona and that'll give them three wins to four losses but then they've got Kansas City and it's just between now and the bye a lot could still continue to slide for the Broncos if they lose in Arizona uh, especially all bets are off. But the Broncos are looking at week 10 as that possibility, just like every team, they look at the bye. If they're looking at making a coaching change, uh, they look at the bye for multiple reasons. It gives the new interim two weeks to settle in be- between games and et cetera, et cetera. And the same goes for a quarterback. So if Vance Joseph is fired, you're going to see the team shift its priorities away from 2018 and trying to make the most of this season toward the future. And when that happens, week 10 if it happens, 
that's your opportunity. That's the team's opportunity to insert Chad Kelly and see what they have in him now before the season gets too late so that they don't go into the offseason in the draft in, in the same type of QB purgatory they were in last year where they have a, a young quarterback still on the roster with a lot of upside that they don't know enough about so they don't necessarily make the decisions in the draft that they should have. And still, great to see Bradley Chubb get three sacks today. I still wish they would have drafted Josh Rosen at number five. That's just me. So let's get Chad Kelly in the game as soon as possible, and it's probably not going to be till after the bye if it happens. But that's the date to circle. And in the meantime, we, we have, we've run out of time. Smash the panic button. Uh, changes aren't going to be made, lasting changes anyway, until that bye. Zach, for our listeners, before we get out of here, uh, you do a Facebook Live a couple of times each and every week. Tell our listeners what days and times to look for you on Facebook Live on Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports. Uh, well, for sure, I go on about a half hour, 45 minutes before every game. So if it's a Sunday afternoon game, I'm on 45 minutes before that, Monday night, Thursday night, whatever. I'm also on during the week, probably on a Tuesday, Tuesday evening, around 8 p.m. Mountain Time. I break down the last weekend's game. I talk about the current storylines playing in the team. I talk about what changes can be made. Anything, give my takeaways and give a little preview to the upcoming game. So look for me right before game time every single week and also during the week, Mostly on Tuesday nights around 8 p.m. Uh, Eastern, 6 p.m. Mountain Time, I come on Facebook Live on the Denver Broncos on 24-7 Sports Facebook page. There you have it. I've also been trying this year to be a little bit more, not a little, a lot more consistent uh, to the Mile High Huddle Facebook page going live. Uh, look for me to do it on Tuesdays, and then I do it on at halftime on each and every game. So keep an eye out for that. But that's going to do it for tonight. You guys, keep uh, keep your chin up. Keep your chin up. There, there is. Uh, it can't get much worse, right? So the only way to go is up. But hey, you can find my partner Zach Kelberman on Twitter as well at Kelberman twenty four seven. Myself at Chad and Jensen. Make sure you're subscribing, y'all, because no matter where you're listening to the show, we have no idea what's in store for this 2018 Broncos team. But Zach and I are going to be here each and every week to break it all down, make sense of it all. So subscribe. For Zach Kelberman, I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you soon. You've been listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast. Join Broncos Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com to keep the conversation going.